Welcome to Apex Activated. Join us as we talk candidly about community issues, recreation, being part of the bigger picture, and we may throw in some pop culture current events. Each week we will be joined by community members who are making waves and are the heart and soul of our community. Let's get this coffee talk started where we explore how our community is socially, physically, and emotionally activated. Here's your host, Katie Grok. Hi, Monica. Hi, hi, friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for that introduction. I'm so excited about today's show. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be great. How was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? It was a great weekend. I um I haven't decorated my basement for Christmas yet, so oh, I started doing that. I know, I know. Um, I started doing that, which then turned into like four hours of cleaning out closets and doing the goodwill thing. So it felt good. All right. Yeah. Listen, I know that this, you? Show, this show will probably not air before Christmas, and I feel like every show after Christmas we'll be talking about how much you've decorated for Christmas. I know. Well, you know, decorating is my thing. I know, I know, I know. I had a fun weekend. We went to um, St. Louis and yes. saw my favorite comedian, Entitled Housewife. If no one's seen her, look her up. She's hilarious. Um, also, so you are her. You so are they her. Say, only at staff golf tournaments am I her. Yes. 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 I, I like morph into a new personality. Which we all love. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's a good time. All right. Well, I'm so excited about today's show. Um, this is our first for the listeners. This is our first remote interview. Yes. So yes. This will be fun. This will be fun. We're all, if you can picture it, we're all on zoom. And so in, until we turn this into a YouTube channel, uh, you just have to pretend <laughs> that you can see us. <laughs> we look but, fabulous. Do Oh yeah, we do. We all do look fabulous. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I would like to introduce my very, very good friend. We played soccer together in college, and uh, she has just had the most amazing soccer career uh, since college. Well, she had amazing soccer career in college, but since college, she has stuck with soccer and made it a career, and I, she, she's just wonderful. So um, without further ado, I want to bring in my good, good friend, Amanda Vandervoort, who I never call. I'm like, who's Amanda? I, we all call her from college. We call her Vort. Um, so Vort is here with us. She is the president of the USL, the Super League. I'll have her explain what that is, but I'm just so excited. I think that it's a huge tie to what we're doing in Parks and Recreation and how it's all cyclical and we're all kind of working with each other. And um, so welcome Vort. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Katie, Monica. It's so cool to be here. I, um, First, you both do look fabulous, by the way. <laughs> Everyone on the call is done up. You should see the makeup. It's next level. Um, we paid also... her to say that. We did. <laughs> I don't but think anything. Delight. It, no one has ever told us that how we dress for work is next level. <laughs> no, or that our makeup yeah. is next level. <laughs> but Katie, also, this is the first time I've publicly revealed like my college nickname of Vort. So, so here we are. Here we are. I, now the world knows Vort is what you guys called me in college. <laughs> well, I know that some people call you Vandy, but yeah. I'm like, who's Amanda? I like, know. We, I know. So no one else other than college has called you Vort? No, I shut that down. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why do you think? <laughs> I also feel like we should have had some sort of drum roll about that, but apparently drum rolls audio wise do not translate on a podcast. We've learned, we learned that lesson. We've learned a lot over this process. Drum oh, yeah. rolls don't really work on a podcast. Well, I'm impressed, you know, but I've been listening to, to the podcast and I think it's so cool the way you're bringing attention to, you know, to, to Apex, to Parks and Rec, to the community and the impact um, that, that we can have through our, you know, through our government, city leadership and through the Parks Department. So I'm honored to be here and excited to talk about the connection I've had through my life, but also our connection as, as friends and more like family, Katie, you and me and, and the impact of soccer on my life. I'm, I'm excited to share and I'm really like, really appreciate you guys bringing me on to talk about this. Uh, we love having you. How did you describe me to your friends at work? <laughs> Leslie, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't I'm pretty sure it. I put the side-by-side -side pictures up. I kind, I kind of look like her. I don't hate it. And if it brings more attention to the industry and what we're doing, I'm fine with it because the show is like freakishly real. It's, yeah. it's so funny. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well then, okay. So I wanted to give a little background of you before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of the connection to parks and recreation 
because I know you've done some research in the last 24 hours, but, um, tell me, okay. So tell me how you, like, where are you from and how you, how did you find soccer? I, yeah, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Um, well, that's where I grew up and I found soccer because it was, um, I mean, my friends were all playing in middle school. Really. I started a bit later in life. Like I wasn't a, a youth soccer player until, um, I think I was about I had a stint in the fifth grade, but I gave it up. I didn't love it. So I came back in, when I was 13 because all my friends were playing. And it was my kind of escape from home. It was um, a chance to be with all my friends. It was social. It was, you know, and I'm competitive. So it gave me an outlet for competing in a way that I hadn't really experienced, like in, in my classwork and my grades and stuff. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've always loved soccer because of what it gave me as a kid. And um, now even today in, in my role as president of the Super League, I feel like um, my my opportunity to give back to people, kids, adults, women, everyone through the sport of soccer really started foundationally for me when because of what soccer gave me. Well, and we'll get to in the lightning round, we'll get to what you did before soccer. But um, so then how so, what? before middle school? Well, what did I did play? before? No, 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 I was not an athlete. No, you didn't I didn't do anything until you played soccer. One, one year I had to play ballet, do ballet, whatever you say. And I did not enjoy it. I can only, <laughs> but I can still plie with the best of them. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's what you take away. I did dance when I was a kid and I know plie, demi-plie, like all of the words. Oh, you Monica, know fun do. fact about Monica, she took an adult ballet class. In I a did. Bat- and it, was, it was good though. It was fun. Wow. It was really good. I don't think I've ever been more sore in my entire life. And Monica, did you take that through the parks and rec department? Did you take that through Apex? I didn't. I actually took it through um, the Arvada Center. I wish we had an adult one here through parks and recreation. Here I, I am hint, coming hint. up with ideas. Hint, hint, hint. I have been begging for an adult hip hop dance class at Apex since I started working here. I know. I'm Sign Monica here. up. She'll start. Also, Katie will be the teacher. I, when I first started, I made flyers with Katie and one of her hip hop moves on the flyer. And it was like, like all these little moonbeams coming out from her. And I was like, sign up with Katie Grove today. <laughs> I, I have seen those moves and I guarantee they, they are nearly, they're the most spectacular moves you could imagine. You should have seen Katie in college. Listen, Listen I think I have- the class would fill. I have <laughs> threatened this like more times than you will know. Okay. So- Tell me about, tell me about then after middle school. Okay. After middle school, I played soccer in high school and I started like getting really competitive and got on a travel team and, um, yeah, eventually found my way to the university of Wyoming where I played with you, Katie at, at, at Wyoming, go cowgirls. And, um, yeah, we had a great career. I mean, I loved it at the University of Wyoming, um, but I'll, I'll kind of keep fast forwarding because I'm sure there will be a segment where we talk about the trouble we got into in Wyoming. But well, I, I, um, I do have to say, though, before you move to New York <laughs> in your story, I feel like Wyoming is such an underrated experience in our region. It's like the best university for the money in the region. And the athletic department was very good to us. And we had, I mean, we did have a good time, um, but Laramie is a great town. And I just think it's so underrated. So I just had to plug that really quick. Yeah. Before. And they're still, I still actually remain pretty connected into the athletic director and the group there and they, they do great work. So um, all the props to the university of Wyoming athletic department and the school. So I do um, wish that they had the facilities that they currently have when we were there, but I digress. You know what? The challenges that we went through, Katie, are what made us who we are today. Resiliency. That's right. That's right. Okay. So after okay. Wyoming, you moved to New York. New uh, I moved to New Jersey. New Jersey. I went to the College of New Jersey for my master's degree in educational technology. And I coached the soccer team there at the time, which was um, a great honor. They're excellent division three college team. And then I had the opportunity uh, to be the head coach at NYU. So then I moved to New York City, to Manhattan. I was the head coach at NYU for four years. Um, After that, I Which, can we pause there for a second? Uh, Yeah. I mean, what an experience. Like, did you love, like, coaching in the middle of a city? 
Well, listen, the, one of the most challenging things was that we had, didn't have a field, right? I mean, NYU is amazing. They own half of Manhattan, but they don't own a soccer field. So I actually had to broker a deal with the city and the, the parks department to get a field. So we, we used to be on the schedule, you know, with all the youth soccer and everyone who wanted field space in, in New York for a, a field called Pier 40 in, in, in downtown Manhattan that was managed by, um, uh, yeah, by the Parks Department. So, um, yeah, I mean, I loved it. It was a great honor to be at NYU, but it was certainly, um, it was certainly challenging being in the middle of the, the, the you know, the, the Big Apple trying to find a patch of grass to play on. So, yeah. Can I insert one personal story here? Uh -oh. I, yes, but it's a good one. It's it's a clean one. I lived when you were in New York. I lived in D.C. I lived in Washington D.C. And there was a Chinatown bus that would drive from Chinatown in Washington D.C. to Chinatown in New York City. It was only like twenty five dollars. And so on my weekends off, I would a few times I took the bus up to visit Vort in New York City, and we used to have the best time on those visits. And one one year, I talk about her every podcast. One year. Marianne just happened to be in New York with her girlfriends the same weekend. And we did it up tour style. Like we took a carriage ride through Central Park. We ate, brunch. what was that restaurant in Central Park that's famous? We had brunch at the plate. Maybe the, it was the boathouse. The green something. I don't know. That restaurant in Central Park. We like, we did it up. We went shopping in Soho. Like we had the best girls weekend and it was completely random because I could take a bus for four hours up to New York when yeah. I lived in Washington, D.C. It was a good time. It was so fun. It was great. And if we didn't have a Marianne or a Bob Grok reference on this podcast, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's not even worth it. Listen, this Mother's Day episode with Marianne is going to be epic. <laughs> Maybe we'll have surprise guests and Bork can be one of the surprise guests. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. Okay. So you're, you're at NYU and you decide to kind of take a turn out of coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I decided coaching, although I'm a huge supporter of coaches, I actually went on to be the president of the coaches association in the United States 2016. So I'm like a huge supporter of coaches and, 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 and labor. Um, but I ended up leaving, um, that like as a profession and went to California and helped start up WPS women's professional soccer, which was the second women's pro league, um, in the U S. So I was in San Francisco doing that for a couple of years. And I feel like you no, know, I really got to understand the inner workings of a league operation in professional sports through that experience. I did digital and social media though. So it was a far, it was a far turn from, you know, being at, at, at NYU and coaching to running social media for, for a sports league. But um, actually Bort it all kind of makes sense for me. And Bort was always so good at that. Like every year she used to make back when there was like not technology, she used to make our year end videos in college and she would like piece together all of the pictures and do like a tribute to the seniors, like back before cell phones, you guys, we didn't have, like we had a camcorder uh, on our trips. And when we'd be on the bus and stuff, we had a video camera. And so she would put together on a CD-ROM, like our end of the year, like tribute to the seniors video. And it was always so fun. So she has had this talent way before she was working professionally in PR. This is Thanks, amazing. Katie. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. The hardest part was always matching up the pictures with the music though, because <laughs> it was, it was a challenge to pick the music. Everyone has their own opinion, you know, in the nineties. Well, one year it was the 90210 theme song it was. and it yeah. was perfect. And now, every <laughs> time it. I hear the, every time I hear the, do, 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 yeah. do. it reminds oh. me of that video. It doesn't remind me of the show. I'm pretty sure we like, at that point we ran out onto the field to 90210 one year. <laughs> <laughs> and one, and this song, the other warm up song that we had was want to be a cowboy. <laughs> I can't oh. even sing. I don't even know who's saying that song, but you knew it was serious when that song came on. It was game time. It was game time. All okay, right. I'm so sorry. Side track. You're Even in San Francisco. Soccer, yeah. But then I went on to MLS, Major League Soccer, in uh, 2010 and started working. I, I started building a social media strategy and digital content strategy, um, direct to consumer marketing at Major League Soccer. I was there for a decade at MLS. So I became. And that took you back to New York. To New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved to New York and then I was um, vice president of fan engagement. I did a lot of work with our clubs, trying to help them build their business strategies in a fan centric way to be thinking about consumer needs. So a lot of direct to consumer marketing and, and research into like what drives fan behaviors in, in sport and in soccer specifically. So awesome. decade in, in MLS. So that was great. And I loved every second of it. How different was it that you had been operating within the women's sports world to move over mm -hmm. to like a traditional men's sports world? Uh, it was, 
you know, the same and it's the same sport, right? Soccer, but really the, the industries, women's soccer industries and men's soccer industries are just at different points in their maturation. And so the, like the work is a lot different and the resources are a lot different. So I always said I would go to the men's game and learn as much as I could, um, you know, work with different budgets, work with different, um, um, types of companies who want to work in the men's game and really understand, as much as I could about the professional industry, professional soccer industry, so I can bring it back to the women's game and um, you know, leverage that knowledge and, and insight to be able to build the women's game in the way that's right for the women. Right, that's yeah. cool. I know it's always so hard because we have a lot of conversations, especially on this podcast, but like just in our world about the difference between, like it's very gender specific industries or gender specific leadership and you will first of all you can't escape it but also it really does have to do with the haves and have nots like it's not the same conversation it's you have to have those conversations simultaneously Mm, yeah that's a good point definitely all right so then why did you leave mls so i left mls in 2019 and I had the opportunity to go do some work for FIFA, do some work for a um, nonprofit that I was I was helping in France during the Women's World Cup in 2019. So I went to France, got an Airbnb in downtown Paris and spent my summer going to all the Women's World Cup games, which was amazing. And it's where I got to know the um, the players union, FIFPRO, the Global Players Union, and spent some time getting to know them and what their ambitions were for really building out the women's side of the of the players union business around the world. And they brought me to Amsterdam. I moved to Amsterdam as the chief women's football officer at FIFPRO in um, late 2019. So that was an amazing experience. I mean, it was, you know, as I said about the coaches industry, I'm, a, I'm really passionate about about the labor side of the business. So to really be hands-on and understand CBA contract negotiations, understand, you know, what the women around the world, what their conditions and pay are like around the world in different countries beyond the United States was really, really insightful and helpful for me to um, kind of, you know, see where we are today, but also where is this industry going? Because I do think the globalization of our sport is really impacting the way we think, act, um, and work in the game. Do you think that, the world has caught up to U.S. women's soccer? And or do you think that other countries are investing more financially? Uh, I don't know that I would answer it in those terms exactly, but I do think that other countries are making significant investments and that really is impacting the, um, the level, the quality and level of play around the world. Because for the first time, we're seeing in multiple countries that women can spend their time as professional athletes and they have the environment to compete at the elite level. I mean, that's, I think what's been missing for so long, most like around the world in a lot of countries, women have had to have side jobs. You know, um, you can play in the evenings, you can do your training and play on the weekends, but you got to go work a nine to five during the days. And that makes it hard, you know, to, to be an elite level professional athlete, nearly impossible to really put the time and energy into your training. So, um, as we're investing in facilities, as we're investing in pay structures, as we're investing in, um, you know, all the things that go into staff, to expertise, all those things that go into being a professional athlete um, in countries around the world, um, I think we're seeing the, the level improve. And um, I think that's kind of the, the main point is that the, the U.S. has been a leader for a long, long time in the growth and development of, of women's sport, largely led by Title IX and, and thankfully to the resources and opportunities that we, that we have here. Um, uh, among them, access to field space. Yeah. Right. And, and programming through our local cities and, and, and clubs. And so, um, yeah, I think we've, we've been lucky and fortunate to, to be ahead of the curve, but, um, as, as the rest of the world starts to invest in women too, I don't, I think it's a question of making sure that, that we continue to lead and drive that conversation into the future. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I've been out of the game so long, um, and especially like as this specifically relates to NCAA and title nine and things like that. But I feel like back then it was so the conversation was so much around scholarships and bodies and being equitable with numbers and things like that. And really over the last 25 years, it has morphed into the larger picture of resources. And just because you are supporting, you know, the bodies or the scholarships or the whatever, doesn't mean that they're actually, they're getting equitable access to, fields and services and facilities and all of those things. And I think just 
from my observation of like some work that my cousins are doing and other things that we've seen at Wyoming nowadays, I think it's getting so much better, but it is a larger conversation of equality and being equitable is the bigger picture of resources. And I think that's a lot of what you're doing at USL. So we can get there too. Um, so you were stuck in Amsterdam during COVID. I was. I was. <laughs> First of all, I just have to state for the record that um, our our group of friends from Wyoming is called Cowgirls for Life. And the Cowgirls for Life, were, we were like, don't go. Don't go. Come home. Get out of there. You're stuck there doing a pandemic. Like, you have to leave. Like, come home. That's she true. Did, she did not heed our warnings. I stayed in Europe. I actually, I was in Amsterdam for a short period of time. And then I went to London and I stayed with a friend in London for a couple of months, actually, probably through the end of the summer, early fall, before I came back to the United States, largely because, A, I was scared to get on an airplane at that point. I mean, you guys remember what it was like. Nobody knew what airplane travel like could do to you. Um, but also, um, I mean, I didn't know, uh, you know, the the my passport was going to expire in six months. So I was like, Oh my God, what am I, I gotta, I gotta figure out, do I like, if I go back to America, can I actually get back to Europe and vice versa? Cause we didn't know what was happening with the borders at that time. I mean, I'm sure I'm bringing back all kinds of memories for people about what it was like during COVID, but for me, it was navigating an, an international world. Um, and yeah, it was challenging. So I, I actually did come back to the United States and then I stayed in the United States. I, I never ended up moving back. Um, because, uh, because I've, I've just felt it was important to be with my family in Arizona is where I, I, I landed. Um, and I worked remotely for a long time, 4am trying to catch up with the people who'd been working in Amsterdam all day was, uh, was a challenge, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And, and yeah, here we are to tell the tale. <laughs> One of my favorite stories of you in Amsterdam, other than us begging you to come home was, um, that they did not ever know what a Girl Scout cookie was. And myself and our friend Meredith, our daughters sold Girl Scout cookies and Bort bought like bulk amount of Girl Scout cookies from um, Chloe and Meredith's daughter. And they did like a, on video, a taste test of which ones they liked. And it was like the most American thing that they experienced. <laughs> Yeah, it was awesome. You know what, though, I, I because I had to leave so suddenly, I had Girl Scout cookies like lined up and boxes lined up my desk at FIFRO. And I left pretty suddenly in COVID. And when I came back to pack up all my stuff, there were like rotten boxes of Girl Scout cookies sat in the middle of all my stuff because they'd been opened, you know, the people had like snagged some of them. And then everyone just like shoved them in a corner when I had left. So I came back and got them and I still had Girl Scout cookies waiting for me. That's I mean, the amount that you guys sent me was unbelievable. It was so cool. That's it was very American. Yeah, it was very That's American. That's such a funny story. <laughs> okay, so you are back in the United States, sans the Girl Scout cookies, living in Arizona with Cookie. Cookie's the dog, not the Girl Scout cookies. Cookie the dog. Yeah. And you've, like, tell me your journey to get to USL from there, because I feel like you did a lot of soul, soul searching. I did. Yeah. Well, I took some time off. I left Beef Pro in April and then I didn't start at the USL till October. So I had a good stretch of time where I was, you know, assessing what was next for me. I, I talked to a lot of organizations, talked to a lot of people and really this opportunity to launch a professional women's soccer league from the ground up was something I didn't feel like I could, I could turned out. And I was so excited about it. You know, I had experience across the game and, you know, men's professional soccer, women's, I'm a coach, I was a player, I'd worked in labor, been in Europe, seen the global game. And I felt like all of that had like finally come together in a way for me that made so much sense for me to, to come to the USL and launch the Super League. So really quick, let's just like recap for like, cause we're using a lot of wonky soccer language. So oh. you worked in, you worked at teams, professional teams, you worked yeah. in a professional league, both men's and women's. Thief Pro was basically the organization like a labor organization for like the union for international soccer players. Yep. FIFA is the international soccer association. Um, you did a lot of work with the world cup and you've been on like the speaking circuit for conferences across the board. So your journey like naturally led you to USL. It's all the pieces came together of your experience to land you to do that job. Yeah. So USL, here's another uh, alphabet soup for you. you. USL is United Soccer Leagues. And what that is, it's a collection of, of soccer leagues, youth to pro, men's and women's. So we have two men's professional leagues 
and a pre-professional league on the men's side. On the women's side, we just launched our pre-professional league in 2022. It's called the W League. Um, and we're launching our professional league, the Super League, in August 2024. So um, we'll, when we launch the Super League next fall, we'll be the first American soccer league to be on what's known as the international calendar, which means we actually start in the fall and we play through until the following June. So it's a really different schedule um, for Americans, but actually in the global game, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and we also have this youth to pro infrastructure. So we really do think about the development of, of women players from, you know, when, when they're young, when they get into high school and then go into college, like their progression through their life to becoming professional athletes um, in the Super League later on. So we've, we've built both of those systems, both the pathway and the international calendar to really think about kind of the future of soccer and where we see women's professional soccer going. Well, and I want to, I want to hold on to that thought because I feel like that's the tie-in to parks and recreation, which I'll get to in a minute, but I want, if you wouldn't mind discussing your experience negotiating for the job, I think that you, not obviously the personal details, but like, (laughs) it was very important for you when you were talking about taking this job and having conversations with the owners about the equality and the being equitable between the men's and the women's game. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because I do think that that's what sets apart the USL from other leagues all over the world of it being equitable. So can you touch on that for a minute? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge piece. Yeah, the first thing that sets it apart is it's actually men and women. There's no other professional sports league in the United States that offers both men and women's or organized organizational body that offers both men's and women's professional sport, baseball, basketball, and uh, I mean, football. Um, So actually to have this infrastructure, something that um, I think, you know, it can be challenging. I think you do have to make sure that you're having those conversations around equity and equality on a consistent basis, not just when I interviewed for the job, but it's a consistent conversation we have even today to make sure that the way we're thinking about and building the league is Um, leveraging the infrastructure that we've been so successful to build on the men's side over the past decade, but also um, making sure that we're doing it in a way that makes sense for the women. So yeah, when I, when I first took the job, it was certainly um, part of, I mean, it's an integral part of the conversation because I didn't want to be part of something that, that didn't understand that, like we talked about earlier, men's and women's soccer are the same sport, but they're different industries and they're very different life cycles. So something that might look like equality um, might not make sense today because because of where women's soccer is in its development, right? We might actually need to do things from an equitable standpoint. So it's it's a little bit different. So everyone will have access to playing fields. Everyone will have access to salaries. Everyone will have access to coaching and recruiting and all of the things. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the the Super League is a fully professional league. So these women will be full time professional athletes on a contract, um, you know, paid to be pros. And so they'll they'll be able to, you know, professionalize their their game, play at the elite level, highest level of competition possible in the United States. And I think that that conversation is starting to become more and more um, obvious is the wrong word to use. But with the hiring of the new U.S. women's coach, the news, Emma Hayes, out of that was not only did we, you know, get this awesome coach that is the right person at the right time for sure, but also that she will be paid the same as the men's coach, which is not common. Yeah, no, it's not common. And and I think it sets the standard for, for what we should expect. Again, that the United States needs to lead in that effort um, because the rest of the world sees what we do and how we treat our women. And you know what, they do talk about it and they do understand and listen, and it does impact the way policies and decisions are made around the world. So for us to be a leader in that effort, I think um, is, is, I mean, it's our, I think it's our duty to, to the world um, of soccer to lead. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, major, major props to coaches like Emma, professionals like you who continue the conversation of like, I'm not doing it unless it's equal. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's so cool about the way that Emma um, leads to is she leads through the lens of women. So if you're thinking about, you know, her as a coach, like what are the things that women athletes need that might look different than men? So she thinks about periodization, like the train, a player's 
um, you know, fitness schedule throughout the year, like when they're super fit and when they can take a break. Like she thinks about that through the lens of a woman's like needs and a woman's cycle of life. Right. And that's just a different way to approach women's professional sports and soccer in particular than we've ever seen in the United States. So I think it's really exciting to see what she'll do with, with our national team and, and how we'll grow and learn from, from her experience in, in Europe um, and what she'll bring to us here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge, huge conversation that we need to continue. Okay. So going back to the youth development piece of USL, I feel like that's kind of the tie to parks and recreation. I'd love to hear the research you've done about your local parks and recreation district in the last 24 hours. Hey, but- <laughs> Let's just address that for a second. because Let's, Is that the elephant in the room? <laughs> well, Lisa, who works with me here at the USL, she does our PR and comms on women's soccer. Monica, you know, she sent you an email and was like, hey, yep. what are some questions that you're going to ask? Monica, t- tell the listeners, what are the questions you sent over last <laughs> well- night? It's our lightning round. It's our lightning round. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, we got to save it for later because it's the lightning round, but it's a lot of parks and rec and some goodies. And we just want to know. No, no, Let's spoil the lightning round. We're going for it. Listen, it was like, (laughs) what do you know about parks and rec? When have you integrated with parks and rec before? What do you love about parks and rec? Tell us about, I was like, I called Katie last night. We FaceTimed last night. I don't know for an hour, Katie. And I was like, Katie, I don't even know where to start with Parks and Rec. What are you talking about? She was like, Amanda, you know more about Parks and Rec than you think. And we sat and we researched and we went through, I live in St. Petersburg, Florida. We went through um, the stpete.org website and the city, like it, we're, we're CAPRA certified, right? That's a big deal in, in Parks and Rec land. So I love how you just referenced your notes sheet to say CAPRA <laughs> I certified. I wrote it down. I wanted to shout it out. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I know anyone in the St. Petersburg, Florida Parks and Recreation Department, but according to your website, it looks like you're doing fabulous work. Your your classes look amazing. It looks like you have several facilities that board did not know existed, but apparently you do frequent the parks. I do. I do frequent the parks. I live right by the swimming pool. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't even read, I, if I'm really honest, like I, I didn't even realize the impact that the city and the parks department has on my daily life. And I feel like even in this past 24 hours prepping for this interview for this pod, I've, I've like, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot and I'm really appreciative for it. And I think Katie said she was going to come out for the cardio kickboxing course that we have coming up in December, maybe let let's do it. <laughs> I, do, I have committed. I have to say I've committed to, uh, my husband and I have committed to running 5Ks next year because I'm not a runner. Vort is a runner. And I used to make fun of her because she's done like marathons and Vort played goalie. She was our goalie. Goalies don't run marathons. It's it's off. It's off the book. It's off the it's off the you know, it's not a best practice. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought I ran a marathon if you saw my fitness schedule before I got to college. So it's definitely a 180. But no, it's, but listen, reflecting on it though, too, on, on the parks and rec thing, like that, I did think a lot about my childhood and growing up and playing on the parks in Tucson and, and like all throughout my career, I didn't even like really, you know, you don't register it as a kid, but I do, I I really was reflecting a lot last night and this morning, maybe a little bit of banter with Lisa about the, about the parks and rec questions that came in. But actually for me, it was, it's been really impactful 24 hours to really think about my career, and now I'm the president of a professional women's soccer league, and my career has been so impacted by the fields I've played on, the facilities I've had access to, the coaches that I've had in my life in particular, um, and I feel that I've been really lucky because I've always been treated as an equal to the boys or to whoever, like I've always had access to the fields, and I think that is really um, instrumental. It's been instrumental in my career, but um, like I said, now to be able to deliver, deliver soccer at so many levels, um, today and see the impact that um, this something as simple as as programming um, or field access can have on our lives. Yeah, so I think you know when we started this adventure of the podcast, we we were like, well, we don't really want it to be like a hundred percent Parks and Rec focus. We really do want it to be about you know people in their communities making a difference and what their journey has been and things like that. But really. Uh, self-serving, the <laughs> underlying theme has been that parks and recreation has touched everyone at some point in their life. And having a quality 
parks and recreation department or quality parks or rec centers or things like that in your neighborhood is really increasing the quality of your life. And at some point you utilize in your life cycle, something that we offer. And I think that is what, you know, now that we've started to do this podcast has really been this theme of like recognizing how impactful it is in your life at one point or another. So that I think is, and you and I have had conversations offline for years especially with the Cowgirls for Life, because now we're all, you know, most of us are moms with kids playing soccer and how different the youth game is today for our kids than it was for us as kids and how we can reconcile that. And we have this good friend, Abby. She lives in Edwardsville, Illinois. I'm going to- You got it. You got it. Nailed it. And she's a coach and at the high school level and just how difficult the- um, the journey of youth soccer has been because she's kind of been in the middle of all of the changes and her daughter played and all the things. And so I think that that life cycle has so much to do with the partnerships that clubs have with their local park district. So they have access to fields, but also what the local park and rec district is providing at a young age to get people excited about the game. So we offer, you know, mini soccer and we, our league, our, our league, I guess you shouldn't call it a league, but like our mini soccer is 30, 30, it's 30 minute practice, 30 minute game, just to make it easier for everyone. So we have a whole 30, 30 program and it does, it gets kids excited about the game and they're out there and we have, we have indoor fields and outdoor fields and we're able to like really provide this level of, I mean, some of it is skill, but it really is just investment in the excitement of the game to then hand them off to our local club, which is edge soccer, which we have a great relationship with edge soccer. And the entire purpose is like, we do the recreation, they do the competitive, like here are these kids that are excited. Now it's your turn to like take them and get them up to the USL level. Um, And so I think that that life cycle gets missed when we have these conversations about like who's providing what service. And it really is a team sport. Yeah. And I think it offers, um, I think one of the things we miss so much in soccer, especially once you get to the competitive levels, but even at the youth levels is fun, is playfulness and fun. And I think that that model creates an environment where, you know, kids can just have fun and parents aren't like stressed about the W and about winning. And, and, and that's to build that lifelong connection to sport. I mean, I, I told you, I started a little later when I was 13, but the main part of it for me was being around friends and having fun and, and having that playfulness in our lives. We need that outlet to have joy and fun. And I think that that's an important connection because that underpins if somebody does choose to go on a professional journey in, in sport or in soccer in particular, that underpins kind of the why. Yeah. And I feel like too, I mean, I mean, we remember some of the games. I'll never forget that DU game. I'll never forget the game against Southern Alabama in the snow and they didn't know what to do and seeing teams. Remember TCU when they went on the bus at halftime? (laughs) (laughs) Wyoming, it's lovely and it's cold and windy. And it is, it's 7,200 feet. Like people, especially all the girls coming in from California for preseason, just, I mean, they wanted to quit every day because the altitude was so bad. So like, I have memories of the actual competition, but my social memories far outweigh, like I couldn't tell you, you know, our record, my junior year, but I could tell you like what we did for the Valentine's party or what we did, you know, (laughs) like where we would eat meals on trips and the conversations we had on the buses and things like that. And so I think that the community building is what we need to really work on and like creating that family feel on these teams. The other thing I think is unfortunate or fortunate for youth soccer Mm -hmm. these days is that kids have a lot more choice uh, on where they play. And I see just as a parent, the stark difference between the sports, like my kid played baseball, he plays soccer, he plays basketball, and really the the very different feel you get with each sport. He no longer plays baseball. So that's a whole other thing. Youth baseball in our area is crazy towns. Um, and he's having so much fun at basketball and he sometimes has fun at soccer. So like, it's just this vibe is very different with depending on who you're playing with or for, or the experience you're having, and they have more options to compare it to something else, I think, than we did. 
Well, and it's at a young age too, where you can create culture and expectations and set like those kind of learnings for young kids about how to treat your teammates, how to engage, um, how to win, how to lose. It's equally as important, right? So um, it's, it's kind of those environments where you can create a really positive, you know, whatever sport it is, whether it's baseball, soccer, basketball, hockey, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's so important to be able to establish those foundations for young kids so that they, you know, they can go on to play college or they can go to be pros or they choose, might choose not to participate, but they've got those skills for the rest of their lives. Do you feel like that pipeline of the youth development is full? Is it getting more full or less full? And is it full with the right attitudes? <laughs> I had a blank face there for, for a minute. How to answer that one. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's a, a mix. I think we, we have a lot of work to do on the culture on, on youth soccer in particular and, and how to ensure that it is a positive and productive environment. But, um, I think there's a lot of great people involved in, in trying to, to, to make that happen. Um, I think the numbers, it's always important that, that we look at the data and the numbers. I'm pretty sure soccer is, is, is still growing in youth participation as a sport. Um, and I think the numbers are fairly equal between girls and boys playing, which I think is, is really an exciting part of our sport is that there, there really is kind of gender equity or, or, or space for both to play. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's really important. Um, but, but really thinking about that pathway, one of the challenges in American soccer or sport, especially soccer in our country is that it's each kind of level is standardized as you grow and as you get bigger, but they're not connected, right? Like the, the, the youth soccer isn't connected to the club soccer, isn't connected to the college soccer, isn't connected to pro. And so as a player, as you're trying to navigate that space, it can be really difficult to know which is the club that I need to play for that's going to get me the opportunity. What's the high school I need to go to where I'm going to get seen by a college coach? What's, you know, and all those questions cause stress and tension and challenge. So, I mean, one of the things we think a lot about at the USL is how to, how to create a seamless pathway for a player who does want to become a professional or compete at the elite level. Like how do we help them carry through each of their experiences from being a, a youth player all the way through to pro in a seamless way that allows them to perform at, at, at the highest level. Um, and, and we work with all the other organizations to kind of align across that journey. So, you know, one of the things Katie, you and I've talked about for a long time is the importance of, of you know, local city sports in, in that effort. And it, it, it takes, it takes a village, but it, it really does take it. all people with different business reasons and, and different um, perspectives to come together and, and build a player centric model. Well, and I think that's why I love what you're doing at USL. I think it's, it's where we need to take soccer as a whole in our country. And it's such a different conversation. That's what's been occurring. And it's a blessing and a curse that you and I both grew up in the system. We both played ODP. ODP doesn't even exist anymore. And so we, you know, we understand how it feels different now for our kids and I feel like USL is doing it correctly. So I give you props for creating that and having a vision that will benefit youth soccer as a whole in the United States for generations to come. So good on you. Thanks, you know, I'm proud of you. I love you. Okay. Before we start this elusive lightning round, uh, what is the biggest thing that you're working on with USL right now? Like right now we're, we're launching the league. I mean, we launched the super league in August, 2024. We'll have at least eight teams across the country um, and bringing those, all of those clubs to life uh, is a, is it's a big task. <laughs> so we've announced some of our brands, our, our presidents, coaches are getting hired, you know, next year we'll be starting to sign players and building, you know, building rosters for, for pro soccer to kick off next fall. Um, we feel strongly that this is such an, amazing moment to deliver. They're looking at a stadium facility in Oakland right now. They've been working really, really hard um, with the city government and, and all the stakeholders in, in Oakland to bring professional soccer, women's soccer there, in addition to the men's team, which they already have, which is incredibly successful, building a stadium in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, so uh, that'll be incredible when that's up and running um, next year, actually. They're already working on that. They've built a training facility and, and fields. Um, Tampa Bay, we're working on a, field, a stadium here right down by the river. We're renovating a stadium here. 
um, for our Super League team to play and it's going to be incredible. Like I could go on like that, but the infrastructure, the amount of investment that's going into professional mm -hmm. women's soccer today is, is unbelievable. And, and through the Super League alone, you can see the, the, I think infrastructure, investment in infrastructure is such a core part of that because not only is it great for the players and the stadium and, and um, you know, the sport itself, but the impact that it'll have on the community and the businesses and the just more opportunities for more people to play, work and watch the game we love. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. That's what it's all about is the infrastructure and, and having a community ready to go for it, which is yeah. huge. So Okay. Are you ready? Lightning round. I already gave away the lightning round. No, I no, I think Sorry, I, Monica. We, we were too no. broad. We were too <laughs> broad. These are going to be very specific questions. Okay. And as I told you before, we can't do a drum roll. Okay. Did you play sports when you were younger and did you start? So did you start at Parks and Rec? So is when you played ballet, was it with the local <laughs> Park and Rec district? Uh, no, it was at a local school. Um, I guarantee you it was tied to a park and rec district. Probably, probably. I, I don't know. I mean, I was like eight, so I don't okay. know. Okay, <laughs> all right. We'll have to ask Aunt Hope. Yeah. Um, okay, what's your favorite thing about St. Petersburg Park and Rec? Is it the dog park? The dog park is pretty legit. I will say Cookie the French Bulldog thinks she is the size of a Bernese Mountain Dog when we're at the park. So yeah, let's go with that. The dog park, uh, you know, I think actually there's Love more that. dogs per capita in St. Petersburg than any city in America. And so that that and the more days of sunshine than any other city in the country are the two things that the city talks a lot about and they drew me straight to St. Petersburg. So yeah, dog parks, definitely. That's so cool. And you you still run so there and there's trails in St. Petersburg? Yeah, there's like a nice path right along the right along the bay. It's lovely. Great for a morning run or an afternoon. Yeah, love it. How is running in the heat? Hard. <laughs> it's Hard. different. It's brutal. The humidity. You're at is sea level, there. but it's hot. No, it's not the heat. It's the humidity it gets you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a little different than the dry heat in Arizona, the altitude in Laramie, Wyoming, and the wet cold in New York City. Mm -hmm. They're all yeah. really different. Great challenges. You know what? Why would we participate if it wasn't a challenge? I told you I'm, I'm competitive. So I compete with the weather as much as I compete with myself. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Okay. When was the last time this is a departure from parks and rec talk. Okay. When was the last time you did something completely for yourself? Uh, like, what's I, your version of self-care? Um, well, I, uh, I like to go with Aunt Hope. We spend a lot of time going and going to like art shows on the weekend. So there's a lot of fairs, uh, street fairs. So this weekend I went and went to a street fair with Aunt Hope and it was lovely. I bought a pair of earrings from a local jeweler. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who do you consider your hype team? You, obviously. Cowgirls for, for life. life. What do you mean? <laughs> you guys, I have to tell this really quick story because I know the Cowgirls for Life will listen to this as well. But so we were, we were all, obviously we were all friends in college and we like stayed in touch, but, um, oh my gosh, has it been five, six years since, uh, one of our teammates, Sansi was killed in a car accident. She, she was hit by a drunk driver, um, in Colorado. So please don't drink and drive. It was on Christmas Eve. And we, it was such a tragic, her daughter was in the car, her daughter survived and it was such a tragic event, but it did bring us all back together. So for the first time, I think in probably 10 years, we all came together um, for Sansi's memorial service. And we, everyone came into Colorado and we spent the entire weekend together. And it was the most, if it's the one thing that we got out of, um, if it's something positive that came out of Sansi's tra tragedy was that we all were brought back together. And we have since then communicated at least on a monthly basis, if not on a weekly basis. And it's just brought this level of joy back to all of our lives to reconnect and, and support each other through huge life changes. Um, there have been many since Sansi for all of us. And so we survived COVID together. We've survived divorces and other deaths and huge moves. And um, I, I don't think I could do life without the Cowgirls for Life. Hype team all the way. Hype team. Hype team. Hype all team. right. Shout out to the girls. Um, okay. We need an, uh, an audience question from the audience. Jordan. Oh, there's the Wait, what do you there's mean? There's a surprise question. But there's we're a surprise not question. You have the jar, Monica? So I have the question sure. ready for her. Jar. <laughs> okay. 
So if there is one thing that you, one piece of advice you could give any young girl, what would it be? So I think um, it would be, be in, be around people and in spaces where you um, see opportunity. Like I, I always think that when you're, when you're looking for the next opportunity or you want to learn and grow, identify the people who are in those spaces and learn from them. Right. So as you're looking for mentors or you're thinking about mentorship, which I think is a really important um, element of, of our development, um, see people who followed that journey or people who maybe have, have broken barriers in ways that you find interesting and meet them like reach out, meet them, be in the types of spaces where they are. So like my own example, and, and this is later in my career, but when I was, when I left MLS, I described for you, I went to, I went to Europe and spent my summer at the women's world cup because I knew I wanted to be back in women's soccer. And I knew that I wanted to work in international sport. So it made sense for me to go spend a summer at FIFA. Right. And, and from that, my role with FIFPRO, the global players union evolved. So um, but I've done that a lot in my life, in my career from the time I, I was young. I mean, listen, when I, when I was 13 and my friends were all playing soccer and I wanted to be around my friends more and I thought soccer was cool. Well, that's where I found myself. And I, and I think um, if we can commit to, to those kinds of opportunities and making sure we're learning from them and, and, um, and, and engaging in positive ways, then uh, they, they can help us decide our path. And you just happened to like be able to spend a summer in Paris. She's like, it was, you know, it was for the mentorship. Right. It was for the mentorship right. and the experience. I needed I had to, to do the it. right people. But I had I to do then it. I got an apartment in Paris for the summer. Right. It wasn't my I choice. Was, I, it was it was my path. Like the baguettes and the cheese were really good too. <laughs> yeah, and the wine. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I, I am yeah. a, I was in a position of privilege to be able to do that. That's true. equal opportunity experiencing. If I'm going <laughs> to have this amazing experience, let's get some mentorship out of it. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Well, I mean, you know, I adore you. I think you're a freaking rock star and I think you are changing women's sports on a daily basis. And I commend you for sticking with your dreams and making a career out of soccer and we all just look up to you in so many ways so thank you thank you I love you thank you for coming on this this has been so fun thanks for inviting me this has been really fun I cannot believe how many connections I have to local parks and rec but See? I'm uh... <laughs> and your camper certified <laughs> and you live in a city that's capra certified Capra certified that's right we she just that's checked her notes again, you guys. She did. Uh -huh. She didn't put her glasses on, though. So she didn't that's have to put her glasses on. It must be on the desk. Yeah. No, this has been great. I'm, great. I'm humbled. You. Thank you, Monica. I'm humbled and honored. I'm so impressed with you guys getting this podcast up and going. Like this is this is this is really impressive and and really exciting that you're able to bring these kinds of conversations to the forefront uh, because we need people who who take the time and energy to to do this to tell the stories that are important because we build upon this in the future. And and I'm just really I'm proud of both of you. And it's really really great to to do this. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Here's another episode of Apex Activated. Thanks for listening to Apex Activated. I'm your host, Katie Groke. This podcast is produced by Monica Bowser. For more information on Apex happenings or anything going on in our community, visit apexprd.org. And as always, follow us on any of the social media channels. See you soon.